I, as the elected district attorney, have made several commitments to the public, understanding the public interest around this case. You haven't seen that report. Decisions are imminent. Decisions are imminent. Maybe that depends on your definition of imminent. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Or maybe they're imminent. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am... From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast. That's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites blanketing planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. It is one of those rare days when I actually had to cancel a guest. I never like doing that. But we've got just so much breaking news that needs some attention today that I've just had to had to bump them to another day, Desi Doyen. I know. Post- I feel bad. Phone, not cancel. That's right. Uh, among the uh, breaking and or still moving stories that I do need to hit today, the fascinating hearing in a Fulton County, Georgia, Superior Courtroom, told you this one was coming, to determine whether the report by a special purpose grand jury in uh, in Georgia that may or may not have recommended criminal charges against Donald Trump and or a whole bunch of co-conspirators in his attempt to steal the 2020 presidential election in Georgia, whether or not that special grand jury report should be released to the public as the special grand jury, which has now been dissolved after about eight months of investigating, They had actually requested when their report was turned over to Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis and the Fulton County judge overseeing the special purpose grand jury. They wanted that report uh, released to the public. So we will get to that, as you heard referenced in the opening there, the um, decisions are imminent comment. (laughs) Uh, And the uh, breaking news on Tuesday that, yep, Vice President Mike Pence apparently has also had some classified documents stored at his home in Indiana. Sigh. So I will get to all of that momentarily today. But first, as we were on air during yesterday's broadcast, 
In Iowa, according to the Des Moines Register today, two students were killed on Monday in shootings at Starts Right Here, an educational mentorship program in downtown Des Moines that helps at-risk youth. A police spokesperson said Starts Right Here founder and CEO Will Holmes, who is known by his stage name, Will Keeps, was seriously injured and remains hospitalized uh, as of uh, or did as of Monday evening. The students who were shot were an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old, both Des Moines residents, who were found in very critical condition after the shooting. They were taken to a hospital where they subsequently died. Late on Monday, police charged an 18-year-old resident with two counts of first-degree murder, attempted murder and criminal criminal gang participation. The police said in a news release that the shooter was allegedly armed with a nine millimeter handgun with an extended ammunition magazine. It's not clear how many shots the uh, alleged assailant fired in total, but the complaint notes that his handgun had an extended magazine with a maximum capacity of 31 rounds. The gun had only three shots remaining in it when police recovered it. Begging the question, as I raised with the caller on yesterday's show, in a very interesting conversation, if you missed it, uh, you can download it for free at bradblog.com. Had a lot of good callers on our uh, yesterday's broadcast. Uh, it was a conversation about why those types of weapons of mass destruction are so easily available in Iowa and damn near everywhere else in this country. Why does anyone need a magazine? Anyone outside of, uh, you know, a war need a maximum capacity magazine with 31 rounds in it? Uh, Anyway, uh, Iowa's Republican Governor Kim Reynolds, in a statement on Monday, said that she was, quote, shocked and saddened to hear about the shooting at Starts Right Here, where Reynolds herself serves as an advisory board member. She said, I've seen how hard Will Keeps and his staff work to help at-risk kids through this alternative education program. My heart breaks for them, these kids and their families. Kevin and I are praying for their safe recovery. So thoughts and prayers from the uh, Republican governor of Iowa. No comment, apparently, on why such weapons as semi-automatic pistols with extended magazines are so easy for an 18-year-old to get in Iowa. U.S. Iowa's U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, also Republican, tweeted that he was, quote, praying for all of those affected. But, of course, doing nothing about the problem in the U.S. Senate, where he has served for nearly 200 years at this point. (laughs) Des Moines Schools Interim Superintendent Matt Smith said in a statement that school officials were waiting to learn more details, but that, quote, our thoughts are with any victims of this incident and their families and friends. And amid a busy day focused on education issues, as it turns out, at the Iowa State House, rather than take any actual action to make such killings at our schools less frequent in their state, well, they held a moment of silence for the victims at the request of Democratic Minority Leader Jennifer Konst. The uh, thoughts and prayers and silence, folks. That's what they get in Iowa. That shooting, of course, came on the heels of the massacre 
that we were busy reporting on on yesterday's program at a Lunar New Year's festival here in Monterey Park over the weekend. And as we reported it on the air, that story from Iowa came in. But that story in Monterey Park had 11 killed and nine injured just east of L.A., which, as AP reported, was at the time the fifth mass killing since the beginning of the year, which was barely three weeks old by the time of the weekend massacre down here in Southern California. That was also carried out with a semi-automatic weapon with an extended magazine that was able to fire off dozens of shots within seconds without the shooter needing to reload. And shortly after we got off the air from... The, uh, yesterday's broadcast news broke out of Northern California of yet another mass shooting where seven were killed at two different crime scenes in what is being characterized as a workplace violence case in Half Moon Bay that is south of San Francisco. The 66-year-old man suspected of killing four people at a mushroom farm in California and three others at a nearby site on Monday was an employee of the farm. San Mateo County Sheriff uh, said on Tuesday, the only known connection between the victims and the suspect is that they may have been co-workers, he said. The killings mark uh, California's second massacre in three days involving Asian-American victims and suspects. The San Mateo County victims at Half Moon Bay were either Asian or Hispanic, according to police officials. In San Mateo County, the suspect was taken into custody about two hours after the first call to police while he was parked at a sheriff's substation with a semi-automatic handgun in his vehicle, the sheriff said. California's Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom was at a hospital meeting with uh, wounded victims of the Monterey Park shooting when he was, quote, pulled away to be briefed about another shooting, this time in Half Moon Bay, he said. Tragedy upon tragedy, Governor Newsom tweeted. Of course, those Two tragedies with 18 dead among them come just after weeks of endless climate change fueled storms out here in California, which killed more than 20, resulted in some 1400 rescues across the state and cost well over one billion dollars in damage, as Desi will discuss in our Green News report a little bit later this hour. Yes. The governor was set to visit Half Moon Bay on Tuesday to meet with families of those killed in the San uh, Mateo County massacre. President Joe Biden reiterated his call for Congress to, quote, act quickly and ban assault weapons. Saying, quote, we know the scourge of gun violence across America requires stronger action, he said in a statement. Now, while the AP USA Today mass killing database that I cited yesterday found the Monterey Park shooting to be the fifth mass shooting of the year in which a mass killing is defined as uh, four dead, not including the shooter. Well, according to the gunviolencearchive.org, which counts mass shootings as one in which four or more were killed or injured, well... According to that database, the U.S. has already suffered 39 mass shootings this month, more than any other start of the year on record. In California alone, 19 people were slaughtered in three mass three mass shootings in just 44 hours. 11 at that dance studio in Monterey Park near L.A., seven 
killed uh, on Monday in Half Moon Bay near San Francisco, and one person killed and seven others wounded Monday evening. Yes, yet another shooting in California after Half Moon Bay, uh, apparently in Oakland. And on Tuesday morning, three people were killed after a shooting in the state of Washington, with the suspect remaining on the run, according to police earlier on Tuesday. The shooting took place at a Circle K around 3.30 a.m. local time in Yakima. The suspect allegedly fired into a car and fled the area in a stolen car, according to the police chief there. The uh, chief said there is a fourth victim of the shooting, possibly the person who was carjacked, whose condition remained unknown. And this afternoon, the Yakima Police Department said the presumed homicide suspect is a 21-year-old Yakima County resident. An employee at a nearby business told CNN that the area was locked down and that police have surrounded a home near the intersection of University Parkway and West Birchfield Road. Johnson said authorities have been there since before 9 a.m. Johnson uh, uh, being one of the uh, authorities there, the uh, actually no one of the employees at a nearby business. The area that police have closed off is roughly two miles east of where the shots were fired. Justin Bumbelo, who was working at a nearby towing lot, said he was half asleep when he heard gunshots. He said he heard around nine gunshots ringing out. So don't know for sure, but want to bet it was another semi-automatic weapon with an extended magazine in that incident as well. But, you know, thoughts and prayers... It's like, you know, we're not a a crime blotter program, but just, you know, covering some of the shootings in the past 12 hours. It's exhausting. Yeah, it is. Uh, Shall we move to something less maddening this afternoon? Sure. Why not? Not sure, however, if this Uh. will do the trick. But it is what we got today. A lawyer for former Vice President Mike Pence discovered about a dozen documents marked as classified at Mike Pence's Indiana home last week, and he has turned those classified records over to the FBI, according to multiple sources. The uh, FBI and the Justice Department's National Security Division have launched a review of the documents and how they ended up in Pence's house in Indiana. The classified documents were discovered at Pence's new home, his new mansion, to be frank. CNN has a photo of it. Did you see that photo? Yeah. Uh, it's in, huge. Yeah. In uh, Carmel, Indiana, they were discovered reportedly by a lawyer for Pence in the wake of the revelations about classified material discovered in President Joe Biden's private office and residence, the sources told CNN. In the wake of documents found at Biden's private office and residence, not in the <laughs> wake of anybody else's private residence, CNN. Anybody else have any sort of issues with classified documents that maybe they weren't supposed to be in possession of CNN? Anybody who didn't, you know, have a dozen, but rather had hundreds upon hundreds amounting to thousands and thousands of pages of classified documents? Anyone come to mind, CNN, or is it just Joe Biden? The discovery, CNN continues, comes after Pence has repeatedly said he did not have any classified documents in his possession. And frankly, it shows once again 
how easy it is to lose track of stuff that is marked as classified, apparently, particularly when it's not highly classified, such as some of the stuff that was found to have been at uh, in Donald Trump's possession with some very highly classified documents. Oh, yeah, that's it. Donald Trump. That's the guy. That's the other guy oh, who had yeah. classified documents he wasn't supposed to have recently. I'm, it's just coming to my mind here, of course. <laughs> uh, we, we have evidence that he purposely stole those documents and went to great lengths to keep them and to lie about them to government officials, which is unlawful in and of itself, whether or not the documents are highly classified or not classified at all. But you'll recall that some documents marked as classified are even, you know, emailed between people who are allowed to have and see them, as was the case when it was discovered that there were a handful of such documents, and this seems so quaint now, but a handful of such documents that people had emailed to Hillary Clinton way back when during her original uh, but her emails pretend controversy back in 2016. Lock her up. Now, I suspect, but I don't know for sure, that it's also possible that someone like, well, then-Senator, then-Secretary of State uh, Clinton, or then-Vice President Biden, or then-Vice President Pence might, you know, even receive documents like that via email to review before an important meeting tomorrow with a head of state or something and might print them out to read them more easily before tomorrow's meeting and that these uh, documents marked as classified never actually end up getting returned or shredded or put in a burn bag or whatever is supposed to happen to them. Nothing nefarious in such a case, but rather sloppy, all of which is very different from stealing thousands of pages of classified documents being told by the government to return them, refusing to do so for more than a year, being subpoenaed for them and then lying about them and still not giving them back to the point that the FBI must obtain a probable cause search warrant to seize the documents by force. So because apparently the corporate media is still having a very difficult time telling the difference in these cases... I guess we need to point this out. That is a very different thing from what, you know, we seem to be seeing in the case of Mike Pence and Joe Biden. And I would add in the original Clinton case way back in 2016, you know, compared to what we are seeing from Donald Trump's clearly criminal case. And again, I think this case with Pence only underscores from what we know about it, how it, just like the case with Joe Biden, just like the case with Hillary, is different from what a special counsel is considering uh, criminal charges for in the case against the former president, Donald Trump. It's not yet clear what the Pence documents are actually related to or their level of sensitivity or classification. And for that reason, were we not living in bizarro world where any of this stuff is even being compared to the criminal acts of Trump? I wouldn't even be covering this story at all, frankly. Oh, he found a few documents at his house that were classified that he accidentally had with some of his papers. Apparently. Because, you know, it's not really a thing. 
this happens from time to time, as you can tell. It happened with Hillary. It happened with Joe Biden. Now it's happened with Mike Pence. Occasionally, some of these papers, you know, slip through the cracks. But the corporate media is making it uh, so that I have to cover this story because I feel like I must respond in order to correct the record with the real context for this story. Pence asked his lawyers reportedly to conduct the, to conduct the search of his home out of an abundance of caution. And the attorney began going through four boxes stored at Pence's house last week, finding a small number of documents with classified markings. According to CNN sources, Pence's lawyer immediately alerted the National Archives. What they a say. concept. In turn, the archives then informed the Justice Department. A lawyer for Pence told CNN that the FBI requested to pick up the documents with classified markings that evening, and Pence agreed. Agents from the FBI's field office in Indianapolis picked up the documents from Pence's home, according to the lawyer. On Monday, Pence's legal team drove the boxes back to Washington, D.C., and handed them over to the archives. These were the boxes with uh, the, this, the other stuff, not the uh, classified stuff, apparently. Handed those over to the archives to review the rest of the material to make sure it complied with the Presidential Records Act, where all such papers are actually the property of the federal government of the United States, are not supposed to be kept after a president or vice president leaves office. In a letter to the National Archives obtained by CNN, Pence's representatives to the archives wrote that a, quote, small number of documents bearing classified markings were inadvertently boxed and transported to the vice president's home. Quote, Vice President Pence was unaware of the existence of sensitive or classified documents at his personal residence, according to the uh, representative to the archives, Greg Jacob. Vice President Pence understands the high importance of protecting sensitive and classified information and stands ready and willing to cooperate fully with the National Archives and any appropriate inquiry. Okay, good, fine. But does that mean that Merrick Garland now must appoint another special counsel to oversee this matter? It seems like he has to, given that Mike Pence is also believed to be considered uh, considering a run for the presidency in 2024. Well, he has. How, how kind could of, he not? Yeah, he's kind of set that up for himself. Yes, it's that stupid. That's the standard that apparently has been established by Merrick Garland, after all. If you're going to run for president, we have to have a special counsel. The standard that, you know, seemed uh, to make Biden's apparent accidental possession of a few documents that were immediately reported and returned after being discovered, it put that on the same exact criminal level somehow as Trump stealing thousands of pages of documents and repeatedly refusing to return them and lying to federal officials and obstructing the investigation of them. The classified material was stored in boxes that first went to uh, this is the Pence's. Uh, the first went to Pence's temporary home in Virginia after he left office. Before they were moved to Indiana, according to sources, the boxes were not in a secure area in Indiana. So I guess he has no Corvette. But once the uh, classified documents were discovered, the sources said they were placed inside a safe located in the house. Pence's Washington, D.C. office was also searched, according to Pence's lawyers, and no classified material or other records covered by the Presidential Records Act was discovered. 
Now, finally, almost a full page into this report, CNN finally mentions Donald Trump. <laughs> though he, uh, th- though they put the the case, you know, on an even footing with Biden. Quote. The news about Pence comes as special counsels investigate the handling of classified documents by both Biden and former President Trump. Ah, good Lord. The corporate media is totally failing this test about whether they can make a distinction between stolen documents versus misplaced documents. Completely different. Now, since the FBI searched Trump's home in uh, Florida for classified materials in August with a search warrant, Pence has said that he had not retained any classified materials upon leaving office. He said, no, not to my knowledge, according to the Associated Press over the summer. In November, Pence was asked by ABC News at his Indiana home whether he had taken any classified documents at the end of his term as vice president. Did you take any classified documents with you from the White House? Uh, I, I did not. Um, Do you see any reason for anyone to take classified documents with them leaving the White House? Well, there'd be no reason to have classified documents, particularly if they were in an unprotected area. So uh, there would be no reason in an unprotected area. Nonetheless, he had some. Now, we covered some of this on on, on yesterday's broadcast because we had a caller near the end of the show uh, who had said that she, too, had had a similar instance where, uh, as it appears the case with Joe Biden's documents, that these documents were actually collected and stored by uh, one of his executive assistants that he didn't really know, know anything about. Uh, he didn't know that those documents were at one of his offices or stored at his home, reportedly. The uh, caller on our show rang in at the very end of the hour, so I had to cut her off as because the show was ending. But I asked her to stick around so I could talk to her off air and get more information. Essentially, what she told me was that she's in the aerospace industry. She has clearance to view certain classified documents. And while she was on maternity leave, her office got moved or something. Uh, she was out. A staffer moved uh, you know, the things in her office uh, where those classified documents were and they got moved to a different place. And she got in some trouble for the mishandling of those documents, even though it wasn't her who actually did it. Apparently, she said those there were not criminal charges that she got, but she was reprimanded. She essentially got a slap on the wrist, but it went on her record as to her handling of such documents. Even though she wasn't the one who did the handling of that particular mistake. In other words, it was sloppy handling of classified documents. And that is not apparently unusual. And someone at the radio station after I got off air also wanted to make the point to me about the overclassification of documents. We have far too many things that are classified and far too many people, more than a million, I think, who have clearance to review and access such documents at various levels of uh, classification. But again, none of this is what happened with uh, the former president who purposely did all of what he did and then lied about it over and over and violated a lawful federal subpoena in the bargain. Totally different. So as I noted yesterday, if anything, this uh, case with Joe Biden is what I was talking about at the time, should make it more clear that what Donald Trump did was not the way to handle this matter. In contrast, stark contrast to what Biden did and now apparently what Pence did, 
When he discovered that he had classified documents, he immediately turned, uh, notified the authorities himself, turned them back to the government. So, you know what? Slap him and Biden, if you wish, on the wrist. But to say that you can't charge Trump with criminal indictments for what he did because of whatever Joe Biden and now Mike Pence did is ridiculous. It's ridiculous to say, as many in the corporate media have, that Trump, well, he can't be charged now. It's absurd to underscore yet again the difference in now these three separate cases. Our friend Marcy Wheeler, national security journalist at EmptyWheel.net, published a handy chart today comparing what is currently known and not known about these three different cases. I'll give you a few points uh, from her uh, graph here. The total number of documents with classified markings uh, in the Pence case so far, about 12. In the Biden case, about 21 to 30 such documents. The total documents with classified markings found in Trump's possession, about 325. Uh, She further went on to uh, equate that to how many documents per year of service in government. Yeah, so like if you took the number of documents that were found and then divided it by the number of years that person has been in service. Correct. And had access. Correct. For Mike Pence, it was 0.85 documents per year. For Biden, it was 0.625 documents per year of service in the government. And in Donald Trump's case, 81 documents per year that he was in uh, in government. She also uh, notes that in the Biden and Pence cases, there was uh, no known obstruction. In Trump's case, yes, obstruction. Proof of personal knowledge of these documents. In Pence's case, it's unclear. In Biden's case, it's unclear. In Trump's case, yes, he absolutely had personal knowledge. How many empty classified document folders were there Were there in each of these three cases? Well, in Pence's, none that we know of. Biden's, none that we know of. Trump's, 46 of them. Empty classified document folders. Where are the documents that were in those folders? How many uh, suspected outstanding documents are there? Well, with uh, Pence, none known. With Biden, uh, none known. In Trump's case, yes, there are suspected outstanding documents. We don't know how many. To not charge Trump because Biden and Pence had some documents of their own is ridiculous. And as I noted yesterday, if anything, at a minimum, charge charge them. Well, charge. I was going to say charge them both. Now charge all three if you think there is a reason. But to not charge the guy who actually appears to have had the intent of committing criminal acts is absurd. It's childish. And it's why so many people think our system does not work. You paying attention, elected Democrat, uh, Democratic officials, you paying attention, people in the corporate media? Probably not. I'm still hoping that the system does work. I'm still hoping that special counsel Jack Smith knows that it would be absurd to not charge Donald Trump because of whatever it is that Biden and Pence uh, did. And that he will do the right thing in indicting Trump for his crimes regarding those stolen documents. But we will see. Also, as to some more accountability for the former guy, the state of Georgia and the nation now appears very close to finding out whether the Fulton County District Attorney, Fonnie Willis, 
will be bringing criminal charges herself against the former guy and a potential bevy of co-conspirators who joined him in trying to strong-arm state officials into helping him steal the 2020 election in the Peach State. In fact, the district attorney on Tuesday told a uh, judge in the state that, quote, decisions are imminent, unquote. But yeah, her definition of imminent may not be the same as yours and mine. All of that news from that court is now imminent and straight ahead. Actually, it's coming up next on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Yes, I'm going, going back to Georgia. You know, where my really, at this point, uh, who are we kidding? I, I think we should just change the name of the show to the Georgia Cast, I think. <laughs> and who are we fooling? Welcome back to the Georgia Cast. I'm Brad Friedman <laughs> of bradblog.com. Des, you, you had a note uh, while we were on break there. A, oh, yes. A good, a good warning for well, listeners. Yeah, uh, about, the, uh, about, about Mike Pence finding yeah. documents yeah. In his, uh, at his house. Yeah. I think it's a good time for everybody to go out to your garage right yes. now and make sure that you don't have any classified <laughs> yes. documents. I think, I think that's the right thing to do at this point. <laughs> it's just, you know, better safe than sorry. Yeah. Oh, man. Anyway, hey, encouraging news out of a Fulton County Superior Court on Tuesday afternoon. At least I think... I think it's encouraging news. You watched it too, Desi Doyen. Yep. Uh, were you encouraged? I was, actually. Okay. All right. As the Atlanta area district attorney investigating Donald Trump's effort to strong arm state officials into stealing the 2020 election on his behalf, indicated during a court hearing that, quote, decisions are imminent. In this matter, the hearing was meant to determine if the so-called special purpose grand jury's report in Fulton County on the apparent conspiracy by Donald Trump and his cronies, whether their report should be made public. The special grand jury was convened last year, last May, I believe it was, by Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney Fonnie Willis. And after eight months of investigation, the 23-member special purpose grand jury completed its work earlier this month and presented its report to Willis and Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney, who oversaw uh, their work. A special grand jury in Georgia is different from a regular grand jury in that it can be convened for up to a year. And it focuses on just one single matter, as opposed to a regular grand jury in Georgia that may examine several different cases during a two-month term. A special purpose grand jury is also unable by law to issue indictments itself as a regular grand jury can. But a special grand jury has, does have the power to subpoena 
to uh, investigate, to advise the district attorney, and to submit a report with recommendations about whether charges should or should not be brought in any particular case. In this case, the special grand jury convened at the request of Willis, reportedly interviewed about 75 different people over the last eight months, and submitted its report Just last week with a request that the report be made public, which, according to Georgia law, means, well, what that means exactly is unclear. Uh, Must it be made public immediately? Must it be made public in full or just in part? That's sort of what the court had convened to hear arguments about before Judge McBurney on Tuesday when it was unknown whether or not Willis and the DA's office would even want the report made public right now or whether they might want to hold it back while their investigation continued. That investigation, while taking place in secret, is actually thought to be a rather sweeping one. It's believed to include a probe of phone calls that were made by Donald Trump and others like Senator Lindsey Graham and then Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to Georgia officials in the wake of the 2020 election, including the now infamous one from Trump on January 2 of 2021 that kicked off Willis's investigation in which the then-president is heard threatening Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger with legal action against him and telling him... I just want to find uh, (laughs) 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have. I only need 11,000 votes. Fellas, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. You know what they did, and you're not reporting it. That's That's a criminal... That's a criminal offense. And, and, you know, you can't let that happen. That's that's a big risk to you and to Ryan, your lawyer. That's a big risk. So tell me, Brad, what are we going to do? We won the election and it's not fair to take it away from us like this. And it's going to be very costly in many ways. And. I think you have to say that you're going to reexamine it. Mm -hmm. Mm. By the way, in Georgia, it is uh, against the law to pressure an election official to change results of an election. Also being investigated by the Fulton County Special Grand Jury and its district attorney, false allegations of election fraud that were made during meetings of state legislators at the Georgia Capitol in December of 2020 as misled by Rudy Giuliani, alleged attempts to pressure and or threaten Fulton County election workers like Ruby Freeman into falsely confessing to election fraud, That's a crime. The uh, group of 16 Georgia Republicans who signed a certificate in December of 2020 falsely stating that Trump had won the state and that they were the state's, quote, duly elected and qualified electors are also thought to be uh, being investigated in this probe. They're also looking at the abrupt resignation of the U.S. attorney in Atlanta in January of 2021 and the unlawful copying of data and software from election equipment in rural Republican-leaning Coffee County by a computer forensics team hired by Trump and his hired by Trump allies, I should say. That came to light after a frequent broadcast guest Marilyn Marks played the audio of a phone call on this program that she received from an Atlanta-area businessman essentially confessing to this crime. You know, 
I'm the guy that chartered the jet to go down to Coffee County to have them inspect all of those computers. I went down there, we scanned every freaking ballot. You know, the same people that went up to Michigan, okay, and did all that forensic stuff on the computers, and they sent their team down to Coffee County, Georgia, and they scanned all the equipment, imaged all the hard drives, and scanned every single ballot. They imaged the hard drives? Yes. How in the world did you get permission to do that? We basically had the entire elections committee there. Okay. And they said, we give you permission. Go for it. Go for it. Way to go, Marilyn. By the way, one of the people involved in letting these people in to the Coffee County Elections uh, Office to do all of this was the local Republican uh, the county Republican Party chair. She was also one of the electors, one of those one 16 of fake, electors. Uh, fake electors in Georgia being investigated. So we'll see if she gets in trouble. Anyway, Fonnie Willis in her office ended up arguing to Judge McBurney on Tuesday that the special grand jury report should not be released to the public at this time, as she explained uh, her reason at the very top of Tuesday's hearing. We think for future defendants to be treated fairly, it's not appropriate at this time to have this report released. I, as the elected district attorney, have made several commitments to the public, understanding the public interest around this case. At this time, in the interest of justice and the rights of not the state but others, we are asking that the report not be released because you having seen that report, decisions are imminent. Decisions are imminent. Future defendants' rights need to be protected. Now, uh, to be clear, while we watched the hearing in full uh, on, on Tuesday, it was streamed live from the courtroom, uh, Fulton County Superior Court. There was a warning that court proceedings may not be recorded or distributed without permission of the court. Without the prior prior permission. Right, 24 hours in advance. We did not have that permission. So what you just heard, to be clear, is audio from... I think it was MSNBC, MSNBC or yes. somebody who, who posted it. They posted it publicly. So, you know, I don't need any problems in Georgia, frankly. <laughs> Willis and another attorney from her office told the judge that making the report public could jeopardize these uh, could jeopardize impending prosecutions. Or as you heard her describe them, their decisions are imminent. And the office was mindful of, quote, protecting future defendants' rights. Who are those defendants, of course? Well, that's unknown. There was also an attorney at the hearing, Thomas Clyde, representing several media outlets supporting the immediate release of this report, urging Judge McBurney to side with the grand, special grand juror's request to release this report instead of siding with Willis, who does not want it released right now. Clyde was the intervener attorney on behalf of media uh, organizations, including the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, all who want it re released immediately. In this case, as you heard, uh, Willis argued the State understands the media's inquiry and the world's interest, but we have to be mindful of protecting future defendants' rights. Clyde, in response, said, we believe the report should be released now 
and in its entirety. He noted that findings in criminal investigations are often released publicly, even while investigations and grand jury proceedings continue. Judge McBurney noted that Willis's probe has been complete, uh, accompanied by an extraordinary release of information related to all of this and evidence, in fact, from the House January 6th Select Committee and from witnesses who are being called before a federal grand jury that looking into many of the same matters, none of which had derailed Willis's probe, according to the judge. He also noted that there was uh, little to stop individual special grand jurors from simply telling others about what their findings were in that report. They're allowed to do so lawfully. But McBurney said he wanted more time to consider the arguments. He said that any ruling that he makes in this case about release of this special grand jury report would uh, that he would provide Plenty of advance notice before doing so, you know, saying that the 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 attorneys here did not have to worry. They would wake up one morning and and hear that it was all released. They would have an opportunity to speak with the judge or to further talk with the judge beforehand, I think. That said, a a tough call here because I am sympathetic to the media interveners, of course. I want to know what the special grand jury said. I think the public deserves to know about exactly that. On the other hand... Since I can't know what is actually in that special grand jury's report, and right now only Willis and Judge McBurney do, I guess along with also the jurors, uh, but I have no sense of, of how that may or may not jeopardize any actual case, and I'm inclined to believe that accountability in this case is actually more important than the immediate transparency for the media which will certainly eventually learn the contents of the report, perhaps even imminently, whatever that may mean. Uh, The attorneys uh, arguing the case from Willis's office argued that the time will come to release this document. They said it's just not immediate. So they're promising it will be released to the public. Now, Willis does not, in the meantime, have to wait for the judge's ruling here. If she wants, she can begin indictments uh, at any time, whether the report is released or not. So this is a tough call. And apparently special grand juries in Georgia like this are so rare and certainly the subject matter of of this one so unique that there is really no clear template for how to proceed. And according to the judge, uh, there's not a lot of case law to go on either. Even if he did seem to be leaning towards releasing the report sooner rather than later, as I heard it during the questioning. Yeah, that's kind of what I heard as well, was that he was sort of uh, leaning toward the idea personally. It seemed like he was leaning toward the idea of transparency is good. The media's lawyer made an excellent case about how this is uh, something that there are no hard constitutional requirements to not release it. This Mm -hmm. is kind of a generalized concerns about how it could affect something in the future. But, you know, uh, District Attorney Willis was very clear, I think, that she was not opposed to releasing it later, just not right now. And and I was on the side of, you know, before all of this, before hearing this mm-hmm. entire hearing, I was actually on the side of thinking, yeah, release that report. <laughs> but once I heard her argument, it was like, oh, wait, that's right. If it jeopardizes any kind of prosecution and accountability in this case, I think the report should be withheld, at least until those charging decisions are made. Well, you know, Clyde, on behalf of the media, had argued that 
Yeah, there are special cases in which information like this must remain sealed. Right. And the judge agreed, but Clyde pointed out generally those are issues of, for example, national security. Right. Or where, you know, somebody may be harmed or, or exposed in some fashion. Now, the attorney who was making this argument for the media dis- does not actually know himself Unlike Willis and the judge doesn't know what's in the report, uh, but he was saying that this is not such a special circumstance uh, that would prevent this material from being uh, released, even though it's about the potential uh, first time in history indictment, criminal potential cr- criminal indictment of a U.S. president. Yeah, and and also Willis did also um, the attorney arguing for the DA's office, I should say, did a good case of saying, look, there are also people who testified uh, secretly and privately here, and premature mm-hmm. release of this report could endanger those people. And only the judge knows if that's true yeah. or not. So, so uh, that's tough where call. we are. But the headline. Uh, in indictments, uh, decisions are imminent. <laughs> yes. Well, that'll certainly uh, raise an eyebrow, I suspect, over the next day or two or weeks or more. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com/donate. That's bradblog.com/donate. And thanks. So, Desi Doyen, I've been hearing on Fox News for years that uh, wind turbines uh, (laughs) kill millions and millions and millions of birds, and they're a menace to society. Which is, of course, false. What? Total lie. Okay. Well, then I've also heard that offshore wind turbines kills (laughs) uh, millions and millions of whales. Is that true? No. What? (laughs) As explained in our latest Green News Report. 21 lives have been lost. We had nine atmospheric rivers uh, going back 22 days. Damages from California's storms to top $1 billion. There are you know, no known connections between any of this um, offshore wind activity and any uh, whale stranding, regardless of species. Nope, offshore wind did not kill whales in the U.S. Northeast. Plus, hand-feeding manatees in Florida appears to be saving the species. All of those surprising stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Oh, you're obsessed with gas stoves. No, you're obsessed with gas stoves, buddy. (laughs) Okay. Fox News' top paid personality. You okay, Tucker? You all right there, buddy? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, aside from the 
uh, whatever insanity is going on over at Fox News these days. Out here in California, the governor just announced over 1,400 rescues in this chain of storms over the past three or four weeks. Yes, it's quite remarkable. In California, that series of punishing atmospheric river storms over the last few weeks has ultimately helped to reduce the historic 22-year drought plaguing the U.S. West. But the cost of drought relief is steep. Preliminary estimates of damage Damages to buildings and infrastructure alone caused by the floods and landslides are expected to reach at least $1 billion. At least. 40 of the state's 58 counties sustained damage. In a tour of devastated areas late last week, President Biden noted the rising costs of extreme weather disasters and pledged the full support of the federal government. The people in California, I say it again, the country is here for you and with you. We are not leaving till things are built back and built back better than they were before. You can recover from storms. We'll be with you every step of the way. Is he allowed by law to say build back better anymore? (laughs) Apparently it's still okay. Oh, okay. Biden also said FEMA will help those who are uninsured and underinsured, which is good because AP reports that only about 2% of homeowners in California have flood insurance, which is separate from homeowners insurance. And that is the case in most states, in part because people don't know they need flood insurance because federal Flood maps do not accurately predict all kinds of flood risks and haven't been updated to account for increased risks from man-made climate change. Experts warn that California and other states should invest more in flood defenses to prepare for even bigger flood events in the future. Or at least invest in new maps? Overall, in the U.S., in 2022, extreme weather disasters displaced 3.3 million Americans. That's according to data from the U.S. Census Bureau. That 3.3 million displaced includes nearly 1 million people in Florida alone. But everything's fine, Florida. Don't worry about a thing. The Biden U.S. Department of Agriculture is also appropriating $930 million to reduce wildfire dangers in 10 western states through a new comprehensive wildfire prevention program that includes intensive clearing of trees and underbrush from national forests. But Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack says the new program is hampered by the shortage of workers that has been plaguing other sectors of the economy. Vilsack also warned that draconian budget cuts floated by House Republicans would decimate the Forest Service's firefighting efforts. A disturbing increase of whale deaths off the East Coast since 2016 is likely due to collisions with ships and fishing gear entanglement, not activities of the offshore wind industry. Are you sure? Because Fox News suggests otherwise. That's according to scientists at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Scientists. Now, critics of offshore wind power have tried to link the whale deaths to the industry's prep work on proposed wind power projects, but NOAA scientists say the wind industry's sonar mapping of the seafloor is a very different technology from the oil and gas industry's high-energy, omnidirectional seismic guns. Benjamin Laws, deputy chief of NOAA Fisheries, said that where a cause of death could be determined for the enormous animals, it appeared to be primarily boat strikes and fishing gear. We do not uh, have evidence that would support the connection between the survey work and these recent stranding events or, or any stranding events in the last uh, several years. Um, there, there are you know, no known connections between any of this um, offshore wind activity 
and any uh, whale stranding, regardless of species. Finally, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has restarted hand-feeding manatees along Florida's eastern shore to prevent the threatened marine mammals from starving during the cold winter months. The primary food supply for manatees is seagrass, but that is dying off due Mm. to human pollution and runoff. And the program appears to be working. Hundreds fewer manatees died in 2022 than previous years. Hand-feeding them. Yes. That does not seem sustainable to me. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Feed me, see more. Feed me all night long. That's right, boy. You can do it. Feed me, see yeah, you know, when you said, uh, when you at first said hand-feeding manatees, I thought, well, I didn't even know manatees had hands. <laughs> so are they doing the feeding? Are they being fed? It was all very unclear. I'm Thank you sorry, for, it was so unclear to thank you. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Yeah. I did want to say um, a bit of a follow-up to yeah. the story about uh, folks in California and in most other states being underinsured for flood risk yeah. because the FEMA flood maps are out of date, but mm-hmm. also because FEMA flood maps do not count co- types of flooding like, say, your sewer, your street sewer overflowing because it's overwhelmed. So uh, First Street uh, did a report on that. They say that 6 million property owners nationwide face substantial flood risk outside of the official hazard map. So it's a good idea to look that up and find out exactly what your actual street level, house level flooding Mm. risk is. And it's kind of amazing that after all of these years into this climate crisis that the Federal government at this point has not gone back and done a proper. They're doing it mapping now, for but floods. it takes time, yeah. and apparently, it also takes you know people who care about climate change in office to make it happen. Which only happens every few years, apparently, <laughs> at this point. So, yeah. Anyway, very good. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. It is always our honor. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. And hey, while you're there, we are just about ready to celebrate our 19th anniversary of bradblog.com. We would appreciate if you'd hit one of those donate buttons to help us celebrate because we have we are we will now be in our twentieth year wow. of muckraking and troublemaking and everything else, completely supported by listeners and readers like you. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Mastodons, and Twitters, I am the Bradblog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I don't usually cover sob stories, but this one is so touching it might make you cry or throw up. It's about some workers who toiled all last year in the caverns of New York City, only to find at year's end that their pay was being cut by up to 50%. Actually, it's not their salaries that were cut, but their bonuses. 
You see, these are Wall Street investment bankers whose annual salaries total only a few hundred thousand dollars each, poor babies, but they always expect to double or triple that in bonus money. After all, theirs is a dirty job. They engineer multi-billion dollar corporate mergers that increase monopoly power, eliminate the jobs of thousands of regular workers, and further enrich the super-rich. It's devilish work, hence the big bonus payouts to keep them doing it. Last year, though, the number of Whopper deals plummeted. The revenues of Wall Street investment banks sank, and oh, how sad it was to hear the wails of so many poor Wall Street millionaires whose bonuses were whacked. See? I told you it was a sob story. But worse than the loss of money for these hard-hit financial toilers is the tragic crimping of their lifestyle. The New York Times reports, for example, that Wall Street's bonus bust has already resulted in fewer of these dealmakers buying $100,000 luxury cars this year. Can you imagine the pain of that? The dinging of annual bonuses is even stirring radical sentiments among these restive rich workers. In one survey of financial professionals, 72% said they would consider quitting if their bank cut their bonus. This is Jim Hightower saying, Now there's an enticing new source of labor activism for unions that are organizing at Starbucks, Amazon, McDonald's, etc. Why not a Wall Street banker union? Solidarity forever, brothers and sisters! The Hightower Radio Lowdown is brought to you by the Lowdown Happy Hour, live streamed from the Chat and Chew Cafe. Details at HightowerLowdown.org.